It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back. After a couple weeks off, another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find all of my content over on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB, along with Dynasty Trades in Five on YouTube. Obviously, on the Destination Devi feed. Join the Destination Devi crew over at patreon.com slash allgas, and join the newsletter, allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe, enter your email, get weekly content from the team. It's been a couple weeks. I apologize for the hiatus. Uh, Purposely, I did not release anything the weekend of the NFL draft. It was all about draft content, all about rookies, all about preparing for rookie drafts. And I wanted to give it a little time uh, to seep in. I still was working on preparing for my own drafts that week, uh, given how busy it is now in the dynasty space where a lot of your rookie drafts take place literally the day of, the day after, and definitely that Monday after the NFL draft is when a lot of rookie drafts started. There was a point where I believe I had 26 drafts overlapping at one time. So it was a lot. Didn't do an episode. Then last week, as I had mentioned on Twitter, I had something come up, some things happen in my own life, stuff happens, had to take another week off, but I'm back, fired up. This is going to be a little bit of a longer episode. I'm going to shoot for an hour. Normally I say, hey, 45 minutes ends up being an hour. This one's going to be an hour because there's some things that I want to hash out, uh, and I want to talk about a couple new tools that I really, really think are going to be helpful this summer for the portfolio players out there. Uh, and a lot of the degenerates that are looking to expand the number of leagues that they're in. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about Warp. Uh, we're going to talk about Warp, the newest Warp tool. Shout out to Koopa Troopa on Twitter. Uh, give a big kudos to Koopa. Uh, he is part of the Destination Devi Discord, uh, part of the South Harmon Fantasy Discord. Uh, so big shout out to Koopa Troopa 8 on Twitter if you want to check that out. Uh, but he has a new tool. It is South Harmon ff.com. Check that out. It's the warp tool. And I'm going to dive into that a little bit in this episode, uh, along with on America's game, Eric and I are going to really hash through some of the warp data in terms of how you can use this tool for your league. Specifically today, I'm going to talk about warp as it relates to draft picks. And it's going to correlate with what I've learned in this rookie draft. I haven't talked a lot about this class on podcasts, at least not on this feed. Uh, But I think it's important to take a class that had a certain expectation, had certain hype, and I was guilty of hyping up this class last year as being such a great class. But to be fair, if anyone listened to my content last summer, the reason I wanted to buy the picks for 2023 back in 2022 and even late 2021 was not and will not be in the future, even if we start saying this about 2024 or specifically 2025, because now 2025 is on the radar, it's not to draft players. And I'll talk about that with the warp data and what I've started to uncover a little bit in terms of how the trends go forward, what we're starting to see in the NFL, and why you may want to adjust your draft strategy a little bit. And it definitely came to a head this year in this class. This class kind of just hit me square in the face 
like, wow, you didn't necessarily think it was going to happen in this class, but it did, and I don't think it's going to change. So I'm going to talk about that in this episode. Uh, And specifically, what I want to talk about is how you can get ahead of the consensus thinking, because I think for most people in your dynasty leagues, they're probably looking at classes on the micro level. Who are the players? How good are the players? What are the players going to be doing for your team right away? And yes, you have to know the classes. You have to know the general strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that. What I'm talking about is more of just making bets about what the type of class is going to look like from a distribution curve. What's it going to look like from a warp perspective? And how can you take advantage of that knowing that people really don't look at things like that? They're just simply looking at, okay, who's going to be in the class? How good are those players? How good do I think those players are going to be? How valuable do I think those players are going to be? And that's back to 2023. Part of the reason I wanted all the 2023 picks was not so I can have all the 2023 rookies. Because when you're talking a year, year and a half out, you don't know about those rookies. However, what you do know is you do know this was a highly valued class in terms of what it could be. And it was that all the way up until the Combine. Maybe a little bit before when you saw who declared for the draft and kind of what some of the early forecasting from the NFL draft perspective, what that looked like. But the biggest point was these picks held a ton of value at a snapshot of time when you could have used them to buy more than you probably could have in prior classes. And what I mean by if you had a bunch of 2023 firsts and you had collected them and you had already had them in your bank account prior to the season in 2022 or during the season in 2022, able to sell them before they became so obvious what they were going to be, they had a ton of value. Now, the biggest loss was if you started selling players at cost for 2023 firsts. For instance, you sold Chris Olave. You sold players like that for a first last year. At best, you probably got a re-roll. You probably lost some value on that, depending on where your first was. But that wasn't a great move. But if you had accumulated these picks a year and a half out, you had a window where you were able to get a lot of bang for your buck if you sold them as random first. And that's where understanding the value of the classes. You couldn't have done that in 2022. It didn't exist. If you remember, going into the 2021 season, the 2022 picks were not that hyped. There was some excitement, but that was just general. You're going to get that with every upcoming rookie class. Those picks did not hold the clout on the market that the 2023 picks did. Now, if you held every one of your 2023 picks and you went into this year and you said, wow, I have seven 2023 firsts, I am going to rebuild my entire dynasty team, you missed out unless you ended up with five of those picks inside the top six or seven. If you didn't have that and four of those picks were 108 through 112, you were probably sitting there going, wow, I wish I would have sold one or two of these. You know, I wish I would have been able to cash out before those picks pay came to find as the 108, 109, 111, and 112 or whatever they ended up being. So I think the biggest thing was understanding when the sell window was. And don't be afraid to leverage that when the value is appropriate. And I'm going to talk about that more in this show. This is what we're going to start the show off is looking at warp. I went back five years and looked at the warp going back actually four years, all the way back to 2019. And just kind of what the warp looks like for the draft picks in those classes. And I used two years to just see what the warp looked like at these draft slots. Now, it's not an exact science. And keep in mind... When it comes to warp, the biggest thing that you have to remember, it is not predictive going forward in terms of who the players are going to be. So that's the biggest thing. 
So what you have to do is kind of use your imagination and say, okay, I'm going to apply this very generally, and it's not going to be super, super specific, but you're just looking for trends. And when you're talking about warp, you're talking about wins above replacement within a certain league. So literally just think about what would be the replacement value at each starting spot, and what am I getting above that with this player, or specifically with this draft pick. So what I did is I went through and I looked at the ADP for each one of those classes, 2019, 2020, and 2021. And what I did is I took the 36 players, I just used the DLF ADP from those years. It's not perfect, but I took the 36 players that were drafted in those slots and essentially sorted them by what their warp was for the first two years of that player's career. I did add in a couple players that were not part of that top three rounds of ADP, Uh, and put them in there and essentially sorted them by best warp through worst warp. And I took the top 36 in the class. So some of these classes, I added in a couple extra players and obviously I pushed some players completely out that had almost no numbers or no stats or no warp. But essentially I took the classes and I sorted them by the top 36 players by warp through their first two years and just wanted to get a rough estimate of what the line graph looked like for the warp for those players in the first two years. Now, a couple flaws with this. One, to take this and then reorder them by historic numbers. So say this player was drafted at the 301, but they ended up with the seventh highest warp in the class through two years. Technically, I would say they are the 107. So in that case, you're probably overvaluing the numbers a little bit because there is not an exact science as to what orders to pick these players. A lot of players were drafted and they were complete busts or they had negative warp, even though they were first round picks or second round picks. So that's the first thing is you have to look at it. This is already correcting after we've seen the results. So that's the first part is you might say, okay, the 206 pick is worth this warp, but that's assuming that you nail the 206 pick and that all the picks in front of it were the correct picks, which we know is not true. Uh, The second thing is I'm only using two years. Why are you only using two years? There are players that obviously get better and better and better. And by the time they get to year four, their warp might be higher, but you're basically saying they're not worth that much. And the reason I use two years is because of the dynasty game that we play right now. The dynasty game we play, two years is a pretty good window for a rookie and a second year player. You can say pretty much after those two years, that player's dynasty value market trajectory, that is already defined, good or bad. Very rarely do you see a player where you're like, wow, the warp wasn't really high through two years, but then they go on to produce massive warp over the next four or five years of their career. It happens, but I would tend to say that if you're just trying to play the numbers, if a player has really low warp and they're bad through the first couple years, that's not a player you want to bet on. Even if there are outliers, you're starting to get into that range where it's like, all right, yeah, one out of 20 players in this range ends up being way more productive than what their market value is. But for the most part, two years, we've already made definitions as to what a player is, what they're going to be, what they're going to be worth. And typically their market value is very limited. It's more of, are they useful or do you liquidate? That's the question usually after two years on a player. So I think it's pretty accurate in that regard is I really only care about the first couple years for a rookie. If it's year three and I haven't seen the warp, I'm probably not that interested. And if you just generally play like that, you should end up fine and being on the right side of those decisions if you just take the first couple years of warp and then you apply that to whether you want to count on this player going forward or whether you want to sell this player going forward, whatever it is, I think that's a pretty good sample size for how fast and how quick the dynasty market is on players in today's game. So essentially, you're already correcting for what happened. 
and you're only using the first two years. But when you do that and then you graph out what does the warp look like from 101 to 312, so we're talking the first three rounds of a 12-team Superflex Start 10 1.5 tight end premium league. So we're not talking 2 PPR, we're not talking PPR, we're not talking point per carry. Pretty vanilla. Start 10, 1.5 PPR. And just look at the warp for the rookies in these three classes. So I'm going to post this chart so everybody can take a look at it. But essentially, if you're following along the 2019 class, if you remember, that was Josh Jacobs, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, that class. The 2019 class is in blue on the chart. And as you can see in the 2019 class, there's only one player that is above two warp for the first two years of their career. Uh, That was Kyler Murray for the 101 pick. But then it significantly drops down. The next highest player, the 102, is 0.84, 0.79, all the way down to where it goes negative at the 201. So we're talking about only 12 players in the 2019 class. Historically speaking, so this is taking the first two years of warp in their careers, only 12 players were above zero. And then as you look at the bottom of that, the 112, only 0.03. And right above that, 0.13, 0.17. So even towards the back end of the first round, you're going, man, I'm not really getting any warp at all with the first two years of these players. And then if you look at the positions of those players, which I'll also post a link to that, the only player over two was obviously a quarterback with Kyler Murray. Every other player between 102 and 108 were wide receivers and running backs. Still, even when you're talking about the 102 through 107 running backs and receivers. You're talking about anywhere between 0.5 or 0.4 and 0.8 warp. So it's not a lot. And then as you can see, the other quarterbacks, so you're talking about guys that really didn't succeed or weren't that great, minimal warp, but still positive. So keep that in mind when we talk about some positions later on. But just very fascinating that even when you take the historic results of the 2019 class, It really starts to get negative at the 201. Then when you go down all the way to the 301, you're almost talking about a negative one warp player. You get to the 305 and you're below negative one. And then all the players after that are below negative one. So just keep that in mind. Now that was 2019. We know that class probably of the last five years was the worst class. Uh, But still, even historically speaking, there were some good players that came out of that class. You know, the players that landed in that high-end range in 2019. You're talking about guys like A.J. Brown, talking about guys like D.K. Metcalf. There were some good players in that class, no doubt. Josh Jacobs is another one that was in that class. But even then, you're sitting there going like, man, what did I really get when I was buying a receiver or a running back that ended up being good? You know, even somebody like DK Metcalf or AJ Brown still in the first two years, barely even close to a half a point of warp for the first two years of their career. Now, again, this is just those first two years. And I think it's fair to say if you hit on a receiver or a running back that is at 0.7 warp for the first two years of their career, that's good for a rookie and a second year player. So that probably means you can continue to buy that player and there's a chance that they go forward and forward even more to where by the time they get into year four, year five, they are producing one plus warp per season. It's tough to get above one, but even so, once you see a player that's in this range, it's probably a pretty good bet to continue there or at least get better. But still, it's an eye-opener. If you look at that 2019 class in blue, you literally get to the 112 and 201. That's the flexion point where you're starting to go below zero. 
So let's look at the 2020 class. 2020 class is highlighted in red on this chart. At the top, again, quarterback above two. That was Justin Herbert, 201. So more than two warp for Justin Herbert on average for both of his first two seasons. Uh, Really balanced, 1.94 as a rookie, 208 as a second-year player. So really, really strong for Justin Herbert. After that, two more players that were quarterbacks inside the top six. So you have Joe Burrow at 1.26, and then Tua Tagovailoa is at 0.57. All three of those guys inside the top six. Here, you also had a couple other players uh, that were really, really good. Justin Jefferson and Jonathan Taylor were both in there at above 1.4. Jefferson at 1.42, Jonathan Taylor at 1.73. So both of those guys were major hits when you're talking warp. So the 2020 class definitely delivered four players above 1.2 warp, including two quarterbacks. And then you see this chart, it stays positive for a little bit longer. The flexion point in the 2020 class was all the way down at the 203 and the 204. So as you can see, a little bit better. Then when you go down a little bit further, and this is what's fascinating, I think, about the 2020 class, is if you compare that to the 2019 class, don't just look at where the flexion point is, right? Don't just look at where the specific flexion point is, but look at the drop-off compared to the 2019 class with the 2020 class. You didn't reach below negative half a win of warp until the 209, whereas in the 2019 class, you were already there at the 205. So again, just a little bit deeper and the results play that out when you look at this warp chart. But even so, the flexion point surprised me with how good the 2020 class was still the flexion point was around the 203 or the 204. So keep that in mind when we're trying to look at themes that we can use this data for uh, to move forward in our rookie drafts and maybe how we reallocate our assets, especially as this kind of stuff becomes more prevalent, people become smarter. Um, I've talked about this and I'm going to talk about this towards the end of the show uh, about how people are becoming smarter with future picks. You know, it used to be, oh man, if I'm trading away the 210, you got to give me at least a future second plus. Like I need a second and a third. And now people are becoming sharper, especially when it's on the clock and you go, man, I don't want to make a pick here, but it still says 210, which means you need to give me at least a future second because I'm giving you a second now. You're giving me one in the future. Whereas if you think about this data, you kind of go, maybe it makes sense to take that. And the extra value I get is I don't have to make the decision right now on the clock where I already probably think it's suboptimal to have to pick a player because it automatically becomes very inflexible once I pick that player. So back to the graph. So 2021, highlighted in yellow. In the 2021 class, as we see at the very top of the 2021 class, not as good. Jamar Chase at the very top, uh, 1.3 warp, uh, but a receiver being the best in the class. Okay. Then you have a running back at the 102 in the 2021 class, that being Najee Harris at 1.15 warp. Then you have the best quarterback in the class being Trevor Lawrence at 1.01. Then you have all the way down to the 203. Again, the 203 and the 204 is the flexion point of the 2021 class where you go negative. So again, taking all three classes combined, you're looking at 2019, the flexion point was at the 112 and the 201. 2020, the flexion point was at the 203 and the 204. And then again, in the 2021 class, the flexion point again at the 203 and the 204. And this is warp for the players historically through two years. So what does this mean? You can look at the chart. 
You can see where it goes below zero. And again, keep in mind, just because a player in the first or second year or even the first two years combined are negative warp doesn't mean they can't be valuable players going forward. There are players, if you look at their warp, you'll go, you know what, those players were negative. That doesn't mean they can't get better. That doesn't mean they have value. Again, we're talking about wins over replacement. There are a lot of places in your lineup, especially if you're talking like deeper leagues, 12 teams start 12, maybe even deeper, 14 teams start 11. You get into leagues like that, there is value in having players that are just placeholders, that just get you by, that are a wide receiver three, that are a flex, that are an RB2, that are a streaming tight end. Maybe you don't have an elite tight end and you can't get one. There's value in having a couple players. That's where you go back to the roster construction stuff. You know what? I don't have a good tight end. It's a two PPR league. I don't have a great tight end. I can't get one because it costs too much to buy one. There's value in having a couple guys that are right around zero warp. Maybe they're slightly above or below. But the point is you need to have enough of them based on your roster construction. Purposely, we set that up at running back. I don't necessarily care if a running back has a positive warp for a season. I want a couple weeks of positive warp, even if the aggregate for that across the entire season is that they're a little bit negative. There's a reason that I'm playing the quantity at that position. I'm playing the quantity at the position where the market is very, very flat. So I don't want people to take away from this, like, you know what, negative warp players are bad. No. Most leagues we're playing in, there are a couple spots where you're going, you know what, there's going to be a couple negative warp players. There's going to be a couple spots where the best I can do based on the market is just have players that are placeholders. However, you obviously want to attack a certain couple spots where it's like, I want to get the most warp possible quarterbacks, right? Like give me the highest warp quarterbacks possible. That's the two elite quarterback strategy. Give me the best tight end possible. Give me the warp advantage at tight end because you know what? The positional advantage there is massive. If somehow I'm able to get two of those, what have I done? Not only do I have the advantage, but I have somebody that can be flexed and I'm keeping it away from somebody else. So think about it like that. It's not that it's negative. It's not that these picks have no value. I've gotten a couple questions when I've mentioned this to people and I've shared this with a couple people before doing this show. It doesn't mean those picks have no value, but think about what you're doing with the picks. Think about, do I really want to go into every single rookie draft saying, you know what? I have this 208 rookie pick. Historically, it says it is probably going to be a negative warp player for the first two years. So how do I want to spend it? Am I using that draft pick on something where I'm okay if that draft pick is a negative warp or even just a neutral or a zero warp player? Again, this is historical results. So it doesn't mean at the 208, you may not get the 12th best player of the class. That's possible. So keep that in mind. There's some variance here too. I'm looking at historical data saying here's where the cutoff is, but that doesn't mean you can't hit on the 11th best player with the 21st pick in your rookie draft. So it doesn't mean you don't want those picks, but just think about how you're using them. And to highlight that, before we get to the very specific high-level takeaways, let's look further at the players that made up the distribution of these warp charts. So I took all of the players that were a part of these three classes and essentially graphed them out by position, and I will share those graphs as well. So the first one we're going to look at is the quarterbacks. So I took all of the quarterbacks. There was a sample size of 14 quarterbacks over the first three classes that I looked at. So 2019, 2020, 2021. Now, 
I purposely did not chart in here where those guys got drafted. I purposely did not chart in there who the players were. Simply looking at the distribution. Because you can probably figure, okay, if I'm drafting a quarterback at the 212 and that was a late second round, early third round NFL draft pick, we already have plenty of resources to say I'm probably not expecting very high warp with that. However, I want to show that what is the best use of a pick that's probably near the higher end where I have a very good probability of saying this is a quarterback that has a chance to be a starter. This is a quarterback that the NFL invested significantly in. What does that look like from a warp perspective? So here's the data. 14 quarterbacks drafted from 2019 to 2021. And of the 14, surprisingly, 10 of them had positive warp. 10 of them, 10 out of 14, not bad. Now, what does quarterback 9 or 10 on this chart that gave me 0.18 and 0.17 warp on average for the first two years of their career, what does that mean? Who are those players? Probably means they are a replacement level starter a QB2, a placeholder, has some value. You know, if you have a QB2, that's at least worth a second, two seconds, maybe a late first. So just think about that type of asset. Even if you hit on a guy like Mac Jones, you know, why would it be beneficial to draft somebody like Mac Jones? Now, he's probably going to cost you a first round pick, but you can kind of understand if he's good, what it means if he's at positive work for the first two years, you probably kind of know what type of assets you have there. So it was interesting to look at the quarterback chart and you end up with 10 of the 14 players in these three classes, positive warp. You look at four of the eight players that were above one warp for the first two years of their career. Very interesting. Four of the eight were quarterbacks. So again, you're probably investing a lot of money or a lot of capital into these quarterbacks. But when they hit, what hits the biggest? Definitely the quarterbacks. So the way we're valuing the quarterbacks in Dynasty, it tracks with why we're valuing them that way. Because look at the warp for the rookie picks. If they end up being a successful quarterback, that's the best bang for your buck to get a really big hit. It's quarterback. You hear that? That's the cheapest place you can get them in a startup, but the data backs it up. The only two players in this sample size above two warp for the first two years of their career, Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert, quarterbacks. The next two, Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow quarterbacks. So there you go. Four of the eight above one were quarterbacks and 10 of the 14 quarterbacks were above zero. And again, when I talked about being at zero, zero doesn't mean you're bad. It just means essentially you are average. You are replacement level. And then even when they miss, and that's the funny thing about this, even when they miss the average work for the other four quarterbacks in here, Negative 0.15, negative 0.47, negative 0.61, negative 0.86. So again, not absolutely horrible. And the funny thing about that is you probably had a window of time where you could have moved those quarterbacks at the value of their replacement level. And that's something that I want to just remind everybody. I've said it a couple of times already, but I want to say it again. This warp data is not talking about market value. So when you put players to this data, And Koopa has all of that stuff available on the website. You can look at historic warp. When you put names to the players, you go, wow, you know, this player has been negative warp for every year of their career, but they still have some value. Like I still could have sold them, you know, because it's not predictive. It doesn't mean that player can't be better. It doesn't mean they don't have value. It doesn't mean they don't have use or equity or trade value. It just means this was the relative impact on your team that these guys gave. So quarterback, it definitely was an eye opener. And I would say if you're shooting on a first round pick 
and you are chasing the safest slash potentially highest upside, even if it's not an Anthony Richardson prototype, even if it's just a Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, maybe they don't have the same ceiling as Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, right? Like people don't really love Bryce Young or CJ Stroud because they say, well, what's the best they can do? QB 10, they become Dak Prescott, they become Kirk Cousins, whatever it might be. That's still pretty good relative to trying to navigate the waters of the other positions. So keep that in mind. It's a little deflating because you go, man, I wish I could just get Anthony Richardson or wish I could go turn that pick into Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert. But still, when you look at this data, you go, it's a pretty safe pick to take one of those guys, even if you have to take them with a top five pick. So let's look at the running backs next. Running backs, a little bit more dire. So 37 running backs make up this sample size. Now, obviously, a lot of these running backs were second round picks, third round picks. So the the hit rates, per se, don't look as good at running back because obviously we're pretty good in Dynasty at not drafting quarterbacks that really aren't from the relevant sample size. There might be one or two that pop through like Davis Mills or Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter. And those guys are obviously from the 2022 class. But the point is, there's maybe one or two quarterbacks that sneak through that are not like ironclad first round picks. Once they go out of that sample size, we're pretty much not drafting them inside the top 36. Uh, So even the historic ADP, one of those guys probably had to be the outlier already to even show up in this sample size. Whereas running backs, they show up everywhere. Running backs come in and there's so many of them that are drafted every year. And then here's what the data says with the running backs. So it's interesting. Of the 37 running backs drafted, Only 14 of them, 14 of them had positive warp. So you can see that it starts to go negative around running back 15. And then you get some running backs where it's like, man, there were some guys that were just absolute cloggers. I mean, you have a total of nine running backs that were below negative one warp. So we're just talking about bad players. You're talking about bad results with those players. And that's fine. Again, I'm okay. I'm not looking at this saying, man, never draft a running back again. It's fair to say that it's really hard to hit a home run at running back. I mean, look at the very, very top. Jonathan Taylor, 1.73 warp. That's about as good of a hit as you can expect at running back. And it still is below Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert. And that's literally like a once in a decade hit at a running back that you get the production that Jonathan Taylor gave you in his first two seasons. Then after that, it drops off. You're down to 1.1, and there's only two running backs that were above 0.7. So that was the major takeaway for me, is looking at this running back chart, I'm most interested in the sample size that goes from RB3 all the way to RB25. And when you see that, you basically have a huge chunk of players from 0.7 all the way down to 0.68, or 0.68 negative. And that's a huge span of running backs. You're talking, what, 23 running backs in that sample size? And that is making up the bulk of the running backs that we are drafting for rookie drafts that are second, third, fourth, fifth round picks. The any running back on a 53 guys. The guys that you would say this year are Tank Bigsby, Roshan Johnson, Chase Brown. Like that's a culmination of what you're expecting in those ranges. And that's fair. Like, that's probably where you want to attack. But then you sit there and you think about it, man, do I really want to attack that type with the 108, 109, 110? 
111, 112, doesn't it kind of make sense with the variance and especially with how many running backs are available in that range every single year? I mean, usually you get about a dozen running backs that go in that range every year. Does it really make sense to pay on the high end of prices for that? And then furthermore, because of the devaluation of the running back market in Dynasty right now, doesn't it also make sense to kind of hold those picks and say, you know what, if I'm buying specifically running backs, and this will lead towards what I talk about at the very end of this segment about what I've learned uh, from this year's class and from this data that I've gone through and how to apply it to the future. Don't I want to be a little more specific with how many darts I fire at running back in these drafts? Don't I probably want to be a little more active in my league with buying this warp with these picks when they're right in front of me during the season? When I see that crusty old year five running back that's found some opportunity and they're getting weekly starts, don't I probably want to start considering having picks available for that? And we talk about that all the time. We talk about liquidating, having picks available during the season where you can literally buy running back production when it's right in front of you. Now that doesn't guarantee you warp, but if you look at a player and you say, you know what, this guy's going to give me four starts the rest of the season, there's a pretty good chance that that player is going to occupy a placeholder and probably give you some positive warp, at least for a short period of time, when you know you're going to put it in your starting lineup. And I think that's the biggest thing is you don't need warp that's positive for the entire season. You need it in pockets of time. So even some of these players that are negative 0.52 warp for the first two years of their career, that doesn't necessarily mean they weren't usable. They were definitely usable in a lineup league. Otherwise, it would be way, way lower. They probably had some good opportunities, some good weeks where you could have played them. And that's what you're chasing. And I think that's the biggest takeaway when looking at the running back numbers is, man, it is really inefficient to sit there and go, you know what? I'm in 50 leagues, I have 75 second round picks, and I have another 60 third round picks across my 50 leagues. So across my 50 leagues, I have 135 draft picks between round two and round three. Do you really think you want to make 135 draft picks, even if you stick to your principles and you say, I'm going to hammer running backs in that range? Doesn't it feel like you are essentially just hedging your bets that you're hoping to get some of these players across this entire spectrum of where RB3 to RB25 lands? And how many of those end up just being completely wasted on guys like Isaiah Spiller or Tyrion Davis-Price or Zamir White or Trey Sermon or Keyshawn Vaughn? I mean, we can go through the names and go, yep, that guy never made it, that guy never made it, that guy never made it. Oh, but this UDFA made it. And nobody was really on that UDFA and rookie draft, so they didn't pop up in this data. But man, when they started getting opportunity during the season, everyone was trying to sell them, well, because they were a UDFA. And I'm not even talking like James Robinson. I'm talking about guys that just pop up randomly out of nowhere. You know, somebody like Jordan Mason or Jalen Warren. You know, if you got a spot start or two out of them, wouldn't that be a better use of your picks? Not all of them. That doesn't mean don't take shots on Chase Brown or Tank Bigsby or Roshan Johnson. But man, you don't want to go through and just pick, 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 pick. Like be a little more cognizant of saving this draft capital. And we're always doing that. We're always saying, man, I want to have some picks available for the season so I can spend them when the warp is literally in front of me. You know, we have weekly warp that gets tracked. You can see who the players are that are getting positive warp each week. 
and you can probably buy some of those players. Isn't it better to probably use a lot more picks in this range on that than just spend them on rookies? Because everyone sits there and goes, you know what? I know Tank Bigsby and Roshan Johnson, those guys are going to be the ones that are the 0.5 positive warp, right? Everyone knows that. And then so you realize, yeah, we're not that great at picking those players in that range. Uh, and there's a reason that the distribution looks like it is. So that was my biggest takeaway. And it's just heightened by the fact we looked at that overall warp chart in the draft picks from the 203 to the 204, where it starts to go negative. Man, like that just tells me right there that those second and third round picks, more often than not, they are probably better used never making a pick. Definitely not making a pick at the same rate that we do. Out of that 135 picks that I said hypothetically that I have, the worst thing I can probably do is make anywhere close to like half of those picks. And really the value that you're getting when you look at it through this lens is the value that I'm getting is that I don't have to make the pick. I actually have the pick to use during the season. And I think this is heightened even more. Maybe you call it 50-50, but I think this is heightened even more in leagues where you know they are super active. If you're in that super active league where people are constantly looking to flip those spot start players during the season, where, man, I just struck gold, I have Deontay Foreman, I will absolutely sell him for a second. And a lot of times you go, oh, man, that's not a good investment, whatever. But if you know that in a year you're just going to use that second on a running back and you're going to draft Chase Brown, essentially you just gave away warp that was sitting in front of you for the hopes that you end up getting a situation right back to the player that you just didn't want to trade for. So when you think about it that way, you go, man, it's much better off in those active leagues, especially to have those picks available when the spot start warp is available in front of you. And this data just absolutely backs that up. So next we'll take a look at wide receivers. So receivers are interesting because we are looking at a dynamic market right now for wide receivers in Dynasty. And I think this one I'll spend the least amount of time because anybody that's listened to my content before, I've already preached this. I've already preached how bad of a bet it is to continually draft these receivers that go outside of a certain range, whether you want to use top 40 draft capital, top 50 draft capital, receivers that don't go in the first round of rookie drafts, whatever the cutoff you're using, you're probably pretty smart to just stick with that. And the warp data is just another sample size that reflects that. So looking at the receivers, we have 46 receivers that fit this sample size from 2019 to 2021. We only have 14 players, 14 receivers out of 46 that were positive warp. Now, to be fair, the ones that did hit. So if you're looking between wide receiver three and wide receiver 14, all of those guys, pretty good. You know, if you get half a win above replacement from a receiver, that is a really, really good hit. Especially with what we know at receivers, how flat they are. If you're getting half a win a year from a receiver, that's a damn good receiver. So as you can see, if you hit on one of these receivers that even ends up being a wide receiver two or a low-end wide receiver one, it's impactful. It's impactful relative to the position. And you can see that. You can see the clear hits on this chart from wide receiver one all the way to wide receiver 14. But then you start to see it dip. And I would venture to say that if you're operating in that wide receiver 15 to 30 range on this chart, it's essentially what you would expect. It's the guys where you go, man, those are flex players. Those are wide receiver threes, fours, fives. They're guys that are not worth a first, but they're too good to drop. They're right on the borderline of like the quote unquote threshold receivers. 
And still, those guys are really not probably what I want to use my rookie picks on. This is the same range where I'm going, man, I'd probably rather use those on running backs. And I'd really focus on trying to just narrow down as many of those threshold and above receivers as I can. We're talking lineup leagues here, obviously. Best ball, it's a little bit different. But even when you look at this, you go, man, a lot of the players, even if you use the cutoff at 0.5, negative 0.5, you're still talking wide receiver 29 to 46 on this chart. They're just roster cloggers. They offer you nothing. The only out for those types of players are I can sell them for a little more than what I paid, which is the reason I'm drafting guys like Kayshawn Boutte this year. If he falls to the fourth, I'll take him. With the theory of he is probably in that very, very negative warp range, but I don't care. If I can get a third for him, that's the reason I took him. But taking receivers this year, Charlie Jones, Xavier Hutchinson, Kayshawn Boutte, you're literally just lighting picks on fire. And this data backs it up. Like those players offer you nothing. The only thing they offer you that's positive is the ability to maybe flip them based on false hype, narrative, preseason highlights, whatever it might be. That would be the only justification. So when people come at me and go, oh man, you really don't like Josh Downs? You really don't like Marvin Mims? Like, sure, there'll be exceptions where I'll take those guys in one or two leagues. But I'm not sitting there going, oh man, Josh Downs, I loved his production profile. I don't care if he fell to the third round. Man, have you seen those highlights on Twitter? Historically, it's a pretty bad bet. Unless you can say, hey, that hype is a reason where I maybe can sell him for two seconds instead of that 208 that I drafted him with, fine. But the idea that I'm able to pick a successful player there at receiver, like just continue to follow that trend in lineup leagues. And I just don't see how this is going to change. I think this is just going to continue to trend this way. It doesn't mean that receivers from that range can't be good, but just the odds are not in your favor. And the funny thing is when that happens, when those guys end up being decent, not great, but decent, what ends up happening? They literally just swap out from another player that might be in that range. So let's say Josh Downs ends up being wide receiver 38 this year, and he looks decent, but it's not a great passing offense because it's Anthony Richardson at quarterback. He essentially just replaces another guy that's in that range. He replaces Elijah Moore. He replaces Rondale Moore, Cortland Sutton, whoever it might be. He just replaces one of those guys. But we already kind of know what those guys are. They're not worth a first. They're just players that are there. They're nice to have. They're great to have in best ball. They're great to have if I have 13 starters. But the reality is how many people listening to this are playing in leagues where it's start 13, where you just literally start anybody that's breathing. Probably not. In a start 10, you know, I'll get questions all the time. What should I take for Elijah Moore? Someone wants him. Like really your mindset should be he's worth nothing above replacement. So what can I get to help me get an asset that might be above replacement? And it's not going to be a one-for-one asset because the above replacement draft pick is probably what? Like the 201, the 202 or higher. You're not getting that for Elijah Moore. But what can I get for him that eventually helps me get to an asset, whether it's a higher pick or it's a higher player that gets to that range? Because you've already identified an asset on your team that, well, is below replacement and it's never going to get to the positive. So this warp data backs it up. It's very, very easy to see the trend with receivers. Uh, We'll see if it changes. I don't think it will. I think the way we're going uh, right now in the NFL is just going to become even flatter. And just like the running backs, you're going to start seeing the difference makers at receivers uh, start to spread out from the pack a little bit. And then you're just going to have a ton of guys in this range of wide receiver 
it's not even the threshold range. It's probably more like the wide receiver 40 to 80 range where it's just, wow, there's just a ton of guys. And that's where a lot of these low warp players land when you're looking at this historical data from rookie picks. And then lastly, we're going to talk about tight ends. And I promise that the receiver part would be the shortest. Uh, Tight ends are definitely going to be the shortest. So over 2019 to 2021, we had 11 tight ends, right? Uh, Well, you can see the chart. Uh, Tight ends are terrible bets. And this is 1.5 tight end premium. Remember, I don't know how many questions I've gotten over the last two weeks about drafting Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, Sam Laporta, Luke Musgrave in a 1.5 tight end premium start one lineup league. Now again, start one 1.5 tight end premium lineup league. But think about that. Look at this data and tell me how you can justify drafting Dalton Kincaid at the 107. How you can justify drafting Michael Mayer or Sam Laporta at the 111, 112, 201. Now I get it. This year, there weren't a lot of other better options, so I bet a lot of people just took those guys because they go, well, Michael Mayer's the best player available. He has the highest draft capital of any skill player available, so I'll just take him. But then reality hits when you look at this chart and you go, out of these classes, of the 11 tight ends taken, only four of them were actually positive warp. And I've seen the pushback of, well, I don't expect rookie tight ends to produce, But doesn't that just make the argument as to why you shouldn't spend a first-round pick on a tight end? Because what happens if a tight end puts up 0.13 warp for the first two years? And I even read this wrong just glancing at it. The tight end four is actually negative 0.05. So you're talking about three tight ends that are below zero. And doesn't that just make the argument of why you should never use a top first-round pick? on a tight end. I don't care if it's the 111 or 112. Look at this data. It smacks you in the face and says, well, if that guy only has, even if he hits, even if a tight end is good and they give you 0.1 warp for the first two years of their career, is that really something you can't buy back? Is that something you can't really fire a future first round pick and go buy? But you've already weeded out the fact that, okay, they were the two or three of 11 that actually hit that number. Like, you don't see anybody on here that's at one warp. Like, you don't see a tight end that explodes so much, they become unattainable. And that doesn't mean they can't be good, and that doesn't mean that a tight end in year four or year five can't get significantly better. I think it's fair to say that's the one position we can say, you know what, looking at the first two years isn't doing the player itself justice. But I think this data, what it should say is, tight ends are bad investments if you're using draft picks. They're better investments when I wait two or three years, and then I go, you know what? I've already seen somebody like Dallas Goddard thread the needle. Let me go pay a first for him in year three, when I've already seen him distance himself from all the other players that were drafted. And I'm not buying a negative one warp player for the first two years of his career. I'm buying one of the successful ones. So that's the takeaway. 1.5 premium or lower, tight ends are a wasted pick. And I remember doing the mock draft on the Sonic Truth Show, the mock draft on Wake Up, and I wouldn't take the tight ends. And people go, oh, how are you not taking Dalton Kincaid or Michael Mayer? This is why. This is why. They're not good uses of rookie picks. I would rather go and buy a veteran with that future first than ever consider drafting a tight end. And that doesn't mean they can't be good. That doesn't mean somebody like Dalton Kincaid cannot end up being George Kittle but I'm not using a rookie pick on him. I'm going to wait till the right time and buy those with future picks, especially if I'm not contending. I've seen people this year that are not contending 
They draft like Bijan at the 101, which that's a whole nother talk. That's a whole nother debate. But then they double down and they draft Sam Laporta at 201. You go, okay. And they say, well, I'm not contending, so I don't care if he doesn't produce right away. But why are you using that pick on him? Why not use that pick on something else? Why not kick that pick to the future? Why do you need to draft that tight end at the 201 once you kind of already know this data? I don't even want to buy a tight end if I'm not contending. I'd much rather go and just buy one when I'm ready to contend. When my contending window starts, that's when I'll worry about filling that tight end position. If I'm a running back core away from contending and I don't have a positional advantage at tight end, I'm not a contender until I have my quarterbacks and my receivers or my threshold receivers squared away. I'll worry about buying the tight end when I need it, but you just don't want to draft them in rookie drafts and this data backs it up. So to conclude this warp discussion, the high level takeaways are we probably overvalue second and third round picks and I'm guilty of it. I've made too many second and third rounders. Uh, that was my major takeaway from all of this is looking back at the last couple years, I had accrued a ton of picks 2022 and 2023. To the point where I was almost at 150% rookie picks relative to the number of leagues that I had. So that example of having 135 second and third rounders in 50 leagues, that was me. I had even more. But the biggest thing that I did is I made too many of those picks. I simply made too many of those picks. So now to get myself out of that jam, I now need to go find ways to get future picks in that range. And I say seconds and thirds because those are typically the picks that you can buy warp directly during the season to where there's no regard to whether there's any future value for that player. You can usually buy players where the community says, yeah, that Cordero Patterson, that Deontay Foreman, those guys are literally worthless after this season ends. And that may be true or that may not be true, but both people kind of understand that the transaction is an in-season right now win now, start this week, start over the next month transaction, and second and third round picks are usually what the capital is to make those plays. Rarely are you sending a first rounder for a spot starter. You know, if you can do that, that's a whole different story. But the seconds and thirds are what usually transacts for the temporary warp during the season. So now how do I get those picks back? How do I get that advantage back when I've made too many of those picks over the last couple years? You probably have to go at least in my portfolio, and I'm going to give a shout out to the portfolio players, uh, dynasty-daddy.com, dynasty-daddy.com, game changer for portfolio players. Log in. If you play on MFL, if you play on Sleeper, if you play on Flea Flicker, it can host all of your needs, but it literally is like my spreadsheet that I have tracked for four years. I track every roster manually on a spreadsheet, but now I consolidated that and looked at mine compared to Dynasty Daddy. And I'm sitting there going, wow, like it's exactly the same. There's no glitches. It doesn't have trouble reading certain players in certain leagues. It's very accurate. So I'm going to give a shout out to Dynasty Daddy. But you go through and you say, okay, I'm going to pull up my portfolio. Even if you're not in 50, let's say you're in 15 leagues. You go through and you pull up even a site like Keep Trade Cut or something like that, just to get a very basic idea of the value of your players. And then you just look. You look at your teams in those leagues, and assuming that your roster construction is pretty good, again, that's a whole nother discussion of whether you have good roster construction or not, but you look at your portfolio screen and you say, where can I maybe find ways to sell some uncertainty or sell to liquidate to get some of those picks back? Because that's basically what I have to do. You know, for instance, this year I've drafted seven Roshan Johnsons already, and I've usually gotten them in pretty good ranges, like 206 to 212. 
But here's the problem. I probably shouldn't have drafted seven Roshan Johnsons. Even if I thought he was a player that can accrue in value, I probably drafted too many. A couple leagues, I got him at the end of the second. Why? Why did I draft him at the end of the second? Now, part of it was I picked the specific player that I think Roshan Johnson is going to accrue in value, but still, I probably drafted too many of them. There were probably a couple of those shares where I said, wow, he's fallen to me here. Perfect. I'd love to get him, but I probably should have traded him for maybe I could have got a second and a third, but I probably should have done that. So now I'm going to go through and say, who am I maybe a little overweight on and try to liquidate? Because looking at this data, it goes, man, I want to have some of these available during the season. And it's not only hedging my bets on a guy like Roshan that I have in seven leagues, but it's literally leaning into the theory of I want to have more picks available. And I probably have made too many picks. So that's how I'm going to have to get out of it. You can do that even if you've made that mistake. You can do it with non-rookies. Obviously, rookies are going to be easier to sell over the summer because they're the new shiny toys. But the idea is you're going to be able to liquidate and you want to do it based on this data that we shared today. So check out DynastyDaddy.com. Really helps you manage a portfolio. You can go through there. You can click on the league. There's a bunch of different things you can do to kind of pick out like the league landscape and see where you rank within your league. It ranks everybody. It ranks everybody by position, ranks everybody by the strength of their starters. Really, really cool. And it's a site that's growing. It's evolving. It's growing like this is just the beginning. So check it out. Dynasty-daddy.com. Log into MFL and put in your sleeper ID. You can sync all of your leagues and it'll literally build a portfolio for you. So with that, I will go ahead and close out this first segment. We'll come back talking about a couple leverage trades, and then I'll do a little bit of a preview of what we're going to talk about on America's Game. But I want to talk about some leverage trades, uh, just a couple ideas that I have for things that you can start aiming for over this summer. But let's first hear from our newest sponsor at Destination Devi, Underdog Fantasy. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Devi team. The best part, if you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Devi Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up, Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Devi Discord. Back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Pretty cool to listen to the underdog ad read that uh, Destination Devi has been sponsoring for a while now, but uh, really cool that uh, Ray and I just started our first Bulldog draft entry. Uh, We're going to be doing four of those. Uh, probably going to be documenting those. I uh, haven't ironed out exactly how we're going to do that. Uh, but for those, the Bulldog is the $500 entry. There's only 432 entrants allowed in the tournament. It has $200,000 in prizes. So pretty cool. Uh, but it'll be really fun to document that. I'm more of a fan of that type of tournament versus like the BBM4, where there's so many entries and you have so many people that are max entering. Like that's just a different style for me. Um, I prefer that. I prefer the bigger dollar. You know, everyone knows that I'm a big high stakes fantasy player, redraft player as well, uh, but prefer the Bulldogs. So that should be fun working through those four slow drafts uh, with a limited player pool, only 432 entrants. Uh, we're planning on doing four of those. So that should be fun. But for the rest of the show, I want to talk about 
just some leverage trades that maybe you can talk about. And I have one specific style of leverage trade that I think is going to be applicable over the summer. Now that rookie drafts have largely gone forth or most rookie drafts have been done already by now, uh, we're getting into that period where it's like, okay, I have to look at my team and start to figure out what direction I want to go. And thinking about some leverage trades, I obviously did the leverage trade episode like a month ago. I'm going to do a couple of those. Whenever I think of really cool leverage trade ideas, I'm going to put shows out on those just because those are the best things for me to just talk through and figure out like how I can actually put them into words and describe them to people. Um, I did a Patreon podcast uh, for everyone over at Dynasty and Chill, patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. Uh, I did a episode where I just talked about 29 trade offers, 29 leverage trade offers that I proposed and the results. And I think I only ended up getting five out of the 29 trades accepted, but I went through and documented the process on why I offered those 29 trades over a span of like a weekend and then waited a week and then saw what the results were and literally did an entire hour long episode on that and walked through the process of like why I sent that out. And those were specifically a very niche type of leverage trade. I was essentially trying to turn the dead zone picks of the late first rounders in this year's class. This was pre NFL draft, trying to turn those into future first in 2024 that I was willing to bet on. And that's going to be the idea today. Now that the 2023 picks are now done, and you can obviously still do this if you haven't had your 2023 rookie draft, but if you have, that's going to be the target for this type of leverage trade that I'm going to talk about here. So if you think about the warp data that I just shared, how advantageous is it when you look at that data to say, man, I have the 104 in a rookie class. I have the 103 in a rookie class. Think about how advantageous that is compared to having the 109 or 110. And I talked about this at the beginning of the episode. This is what I'm meaning by something that I think is going to remain static going forward. We're going to start seeing rookie classes that are very top heavy. And part of that is for what we talk about with wide receivers and with running backs. They become very flat. If wide receivers and running backs are going to become very flat, aside from the major, major hits at the top, what are you left with? You are left with classes that essentially are the onesie positions. And I know a lot of leagues are super flex. But even the quarterbacks and the tight ends at the top, those are hit or miss as to whether they even exist in classes. Next year, we might get a couple high-end quarterbacks. Next year, we might get a first-round tight end. This year, we had three first-round quarterbacks and a first-round tight end. But that's not the case in every class. So we can't really sit in here and look at those classes and say, man, we're banking on tight ends and quarterbacks really being the shots that people will take in the first rounds of rookie drafts. And again, I even said you don't really want to take tight ends. So if you're seeing the running backs flatten off, draft capital for most of the running backs being lower, you see the receivers kind of flatten off to where it's like first round receivers and then everybody else. Then you have the first round quarterbacks. What else is there? So the takeaway for me is I can probably look at future picks and say, maybe there's going to be two to six players in every class where I say, I have to get those guys. I want to be in that range. Those are the six or so players that are market viable relative to the higher elite end players already in Dynasty. If you held the 104 this year, there was a shot you could have gone and purchased a top two round startup player in Superflex. Could it have got you a first round startup player? No. But if you had that pick, that was the pick where you said, you know what, I can put this on the block and we're starting to talk about difference makers that I can potentially buy. Whether it's a package, whether it's a two for two, that is one of the assets that I can include that is a rookie pick 
into a deal to buy me potential warp, to buy me potential high-end, very good to elite players. And then when you get down to the 108, it's kind of like, yeah, a lot of people are starting to realize that 108 is probably just a placeholder. That's great. They might have Jordan Addison as their wide receiver too. They can draft Jordan Addison. But what is Jordan Addison worth relative to the market? People are probably looking at Jordan Addison going, man, he's good, but is he really better than DK Metcalf? You know, is he really better than Devontae Smith? No. Is he really better than DJ Moore, Brandon Ayuk, Jerry Judy? Probably because he's earlier on in their career. There's higher value upside for him. But one for one, people are probably like, man, I really wouldn't add much to Brandon Ayuk to draft Quentin Johnston. So when you think about it that way, there's just such a big delta between like the top four or five picks, maybe the top six and everything else. So how do you get those picks without having to pay the market value for them? Like the worst thing you can do is go, man, I really want Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm going to have to take him at the 105 or the 106. So let me go pay top two startup round prices to get him because he's already there. It's too late. If you're going and paying market price for Bryce Young or Jameer Gibbs, you're probably overpaying relative to the potential risk that that player carries. But certainly you'd much rather have those picks. So how do you get those picks without paying the market value on them and without making it super obvious that that's what you're chasing? So pull up, keep trade cut. And we're going to use this as an exercise of the leverage trade that you can offer. And it's not going to be the exact leverage style that you come to think of. Typically, you think of leverage as being the two-for-one deal that you are getting. You're getting the two-for-one. Now, in this case, we're going to kind of go the opposite way. So pull up, keep trade cut, kind of look at the rankings. And what I want to specifically focus on is those players that are outside of the top six and more towards the late first. So think of the players right on this range. So if you look at right around pick 81, you have Chris Godwin, who is wide receiver 32, followed by Calvin Ridley, Marquise Brown, Christian Kirk, Deontay Johnson. You have those five receivers that based on keep trade cut value are worth right at or below the value of a 2024 late first. Now, clearly they're saying late first. So we're assuming in this case, it's a team where you look at it and you say, you know what, that's probably going to be a playoff team. Maybe it could be the 107. Maybe it could be the 108. But I'm pretty confident that's going to be quote unquote a late first. Now, those receivers are right below that range. So the idea that you could take one of those receivers and trade them for a pick that is clearly not a late first. So something that, man, that pick could be the 103, 104, 105 if that team has a couple bad luck circumstances that take place during the season. You probably can't do that. The person that's on the fence about what their pick's going to be, this is probably not the place that they should be looking to buy a player. Chris Godwin, Calvin Ridley, Marquise Brown, Christian Kirk, Deontay Johnson, even guys like George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Jamison Williams, Jerry Judy, Terry McLaurin. All those guys are in that range where it's like, man, do I really want to take a gamble on a pick to buy a player that is probably just in that late first, early second round range? Probably not. So if you can do that, that's a really smart place to liquidate on players that have some market value, people like, people think they're good, people think all those guys are probably top 36 or better receivers, but they're probably not great bets to pay a pick that could end up being like the top five or top six. That's a bad bet for the person that's giving away the pick. So the team that's on the fence, man, I don't know if my team's going to compete. It's clearly a sucker move to do that. If you can get that, sell those guys straight up. So if you can do that, we're not even going to get to the leverage style trade that I'm going to talk about. But if you can't get that and you're playing in that range, what can I add 
to those players to kind of swindle somebody into giving me their pick that has a higher probability of finishing inside the top five, top six. Because again, that's what I'm aiming for. I could be wrong, but I'm also pretty confident based on what I know with warp and wide receiver production that even if I trade somebody, Christian Kirk or Calvin Ridley or Deontay Johnson or Chris Godwin, the production they give the person that I'm giving those players to, it's really not going to add much warp to the team. It's not really making a big difference whether that person wins or loses. So to sit there and say, oh man, if I give them Chris Godwin, that's a quote unquote win now piece. That's going to make their team stronger. Not really. The only way it really makes them stronger is if they absolutely have nobody to put in that place. But if they have Nico Collins in their last flex and they replace him with Chris Godwin, they're probably not vying very much warp there. Yet they're giving away that one chip, that future first round pick. So think about that. And a lot of people will fall for that type of deal. Oh man, I need another receiver. I really don't like Nico Collins or Donovan Peoples-Jones as my wide receiver five. So I need to go buy Chris Godwin or I need to go buy Calvin Ridley. Historically, it's a bad bet. That's a bad place to be using your first unless you are just sure that is a playoff first. Fine. If you're very confident you're a top four team and you have depth for days and you go, you know what, I just want to add another piece because I know that, hey, this is going to be the 110 next year and I really don't want to pick George Pickens, next year's George Pickens or next year's Zay Flowers at the 110. Sure, I'll just buy the young receiver right now. I'm fine with that trade. But where do you leverage it? And I think the target for the leverage deal is the team that's in the middle. What I found is the teams that are at the very, very bottom, the teams that suck, the teams that know they're already tanking for Caleb Williams or Marvin Harrison Jr. next year, they're not trading their 24 first. They've already said that. In fact, a lot of those people will say, you know what, this has a really good chance of being Caleb Williams, or this has a really good chance of being a top three pick. I just can't move it. I would need a cornerstone piece. I'd need you to trade me a quarterback. I'd need you to trade me a clear like top 12 receiver. Like they're already valuing it that way. And so it's nice to speculate going to those teams and seeing if you can make those moves. But I found that a lot of those teams already kind of know what they're doing. It's very similar to this year. People knew if they were going for Bijan. People knew if they were going for whoever the top QB was going to end up being. They already know that. They'll tell you that. They'll tell you that in the chat. They'll tell you that in the trade rejection email. So think about that. The teams you want to target are the teams in the middle. Again, I'll plug Dynasty Daddy, dynasty-daddy.com. It's a great way to literally plug your league in and kind of look at where the landscape sits. Who's strong? Who's weak? Who are the middle of the pack teams? Those are the teams you want to target. You want to target the teams that show on Dynasty Daddy to be middle of the pack, and you want to target the teams specifically that are middle of the pack with weak quarterbacks. That's my method. When I see that, those are the two or three teams in my league that I'm targeting and seeing if I can get there first. And how do I get there first? Certainly, I'm going to try sending them one of those receivers that's kind of in that wide receiver 30, 25 to 40 range to see if they'll do it straight up. A lot of times they won't do that. But what can I add? So that's where we go to the trade calculator. And this is where the anti-leverage part of the trade comes in. So I'm going to throw one of those names into the trade calculator. Let's use Chris Godwin, for example. So Chris Godwin is wide receiver 32 on this chart. So wide receiver 32, Chris Godwin, he is valued right below a late 24 first. So if you can get a 24 first for him, late 24 first, you're just liquidating. If you can get a mid 24 first for him, you're absolutely smashing. But what can I do to get a mid 24 first, not late. So we're talking mid, we're talking about one of those picks where if you're on the right side of variance, damn, I ended up being the 104, the 103. 
So we're going to put that in with a mid 24 first, just to see if I can get one of those picks that I would say ambiguously could be top six. And when you do that, honestly, the exercise is very underwhelming in terms of the players that they suggest could even out the trade. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to replace the mid 24 first with an early 24 first. And I do think on keep trade cut, the early firsts are still undervalued because in here, Chris Godwin is 41.25. The early 24 first is 58.95. When you look at the warp data, man, if you have an early 24 first or really an early first in any class, it's worth more than this. It just is. Even in a bad class, it's worth more than this. So what can I add in keep trade cut? To make this seem like a deal, and again, I'm not going to necessarily target the two or three teams in my league that are clearly not trying, but maybe I go to the teams that I think are fourth, fifth, and sixth. Fourth, fifth, and sixth worst. What can I get for their 24 first? I obviously can't buy it specifically with Chris Godwin. Like, we already know that. I put him in the calculator. I can't buy it specifically with Chris Godwin. What I can do is I can probably add in another player that is kind of one of those guys that's worth not a first, but if you put him on the block for any second, you would get three offers. People would go, oh, I'll give you a second for that guy. And as soon as you see that, hey, five people offered me a second rounder for this player, I'm probably undervaluing. I can probably get two seconds. I can probably get a second or a third. So who fits in that criteria? So looking at the trade, you have 41.25 for Godwin. You have 58.95 on the side with the early first. So you go through and what types of players fit that criteria that I could throw in? Could I add in Isaiah Pacheco, 38.25? Could I add in Rashad White, 39.16? Could I add in Zach Charbonnet, Devon Chain? Could I add in James Cook, Kendra Miller, Cam Akers? Like it's a lot of those running backs that are in the dead zone. Guys valued as like low-end RB2s, high-end RB3s. So we'll throw in Zach Charbonnet into that trade. All of a sudden, it is a fair trade, and it comes out actually ahead for the team that gets Chris Godwin and Zach Charbonnet. There's an adjustment, obviously, for the team that only getting one piece back because they're freeing up a roster spot. But even with that, try different combinations of receivers, different combinations of running backs, and the optics of that trade for the team that are getting the two pieces they clearly see the one piece that's the best piece, or even if it's just two pieces that are close to similar. In this case, Godwin and Charbonnet are actually pretty close, but it's two players that are worth like that late first, early second, and you're combining them and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to give you two shots. But what did I really give them? Sure, I gave them two starters. This applies even more so in leagues that are start nine or start 10, right? Start 12, start 13, it's a little harder to do, but still the same principle remains. What did I really give them? What did I really give him by giving him wide receiver 32, Chris Godwin? Probably a very little warp. What did I really give him by sending off running back 27, Kendra Miller, or running back 21, Zach Charbonnet? Probably replacement level value. Very similar to what I talked about earlier in the show with all those running backs that are in that range, especially if I have too many of them. Roshan Johnson would be a perfect example of a player that maybe in a month you can throw in one of these deals and you go, wow, I just turned Roshan Johnson and George Pickens into a coin flip pick in 2024 that has a chance to be the 104, 105, 106. And just think about if you're right, if you do this type of trade on a large enough scale, if you're in 20 leagues and you can pull off four or five of these leagues, you probably end up with two or three firsts next year that are inside the top five. And you're going, wow, I got that for two decent players, average players, low warp players, replaceable players. 
And it's the optics of the deal. Because the person goes, eh, man, I'm getting Chris Godwin, but I don't know about my team. I can't send that mid-first or that early to mid-first for Chris Godwin. Sure. But then you throw in that second piece and you tempt them. You tempt them with that second starter. And they probably look at their team and they go, yeah, man, my team may or may not have the horses to make the playoffs, but I'm now getting two players in my start 10 or start 11 lineup league. Now we're cooking. Now you have a chance with the right combo of players, with the right manager on the other side to get this type of trade done. And it's going to seem counterintuitive. It's going to seem like, man, I'm giving away two players and I'm only getting back one pick. And you could miss out. You may miss out and you end up buying the 108 for those two players. It's a loss. It's a slight loss. But still, you're you're basically recouping back Chris Godwin plus when you trade and get back that 108. It's not the 104. But even the 108, you're sitting there going, well, that's at least Chris Godwin. So it's really just kind of throwing away another shot at drafting like Roshan Johnson or Kendra Miller. And it's almost the same as spending that second round pick that you could have drafted one of those guys with during the season. You think you're buying a warp running back that's going to help you over a four-week stretch, and they don't. It happens. But really, what are you giving up here? On the clock, would you trade the 110 and the 203 for a top six pick in 2024? Everybody would do that. Any class, anybody would do that but we don't have the foresight to really think about it until it's too late. Until we get halfway through the season and there's four teams that have absolutely dog crap teams. Of course, they're not moving their first at that point. It's been solidified. That top four pick market, it's already locked down. So this is the time over the next couple months when your league kind of goes into hiding again before training camp and before the preseason is try to get these trades done. Especially, this is a massive, massive edge for teams that are already good. If you're already a contender and you're sitting on some extra depth, go back to some of the data that was posted by Adico back in 2021 about, you know, what are the odds that you win the championship, even if you have the number one seed and the best team? Like, it's lower than what you think. So if you're already sitting on a roster that's pretty stacked, you're a top three or four team, these are the trades you should be sending out. Be targeting specifically the teams, and again, use Dynasty Daddy to figure out what teams you want to target, but be targeting those teams. You're trading away from your excess. Sure, you're trading away a little depth, but you're also giving yourself massive ROI and massive upside that if you hit, talk about a way to potentially change around your roster construction at the very high end. You want access to elite quarterbacks? You want access to elite tight ends? You want access to difference-making hero RBs on the open market? You're not getting there with a bunch of late picks. You need to be in position year after year to at least give yourself a shot to have one of those top four, five, six rookie picks. And that's one of my bigger bets going forward in Dynasty. I think that trend's going to continue, and I want to try to be making these deals before people catch on. Because there's going to be a point where people are just going to go, I'm not trading those picks. Like you're going to start seeing the separation of church and state more in dynasty leagues where it's all tankers, all contenders, which is good. If you're one of the contenders, like, man, you want four teams tanking already in July. That's awesome. That means it's an eight man league for you. It's an eight player league. All you have to do is beat two or three other teams to get a first round buy, right? Like all you have to do is just defeat a few teams you get a first round buy. You probably only have to beat one or two teams just to make the playoffs. 
So it helps you if you're trying to contend, but I do think it's going to be harder to get those picks when people start realizing this. So this is a sneaky way, kind of an anti-leverage trade, but really it's a leverage trade because you're leveraging the fact that the warp really isn't that valuable relative to the perception of the players that you're trading away. And this is the good range, Kendra Miller, Chris Godwin. George Pickens, Isaiah Pacheco, like that kind of range where the other person can squint and go, man, I might be getting two players that are pretty impactful here. All I have to do is bet against my own pick. Oh, those players are going to take me from that team that had the 104 this year. And those players are going to put me in the playoffs. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that two for one. And this might've been a deal that I would have made a couple years ago. Now, maybe I wouldn't have traded away a pick that I had suspicions could be in the top four or top five. But people will be tempted by this type of deal. So try it. Get back to me. Let me know if you make any of these deals over this specific format. Um, I think it's something that a lot of people aren't thinking about. So it's kind of an anti-leverage trade. But for me, it's a leveraging warp trade uh, that I think can maybe turn a massive profit in the future if you're right. And do it in multiple leagues. Doing it in one league, you could go 0 for 1 and you go, what are you talking about? This didn't work for me. But guarantee if you do this in like 4 or 5, you're going to end up with 1 or 2 where you go, wow. I traded Chris Godwin and Kendra Miller, and I got back the 103. How did that happen? What a great trade for me. That was a game-changing trade for me. That now allows me the flexibility to go maybe buy an elite quarterback that might be mispriced. Like, that gives you access to buy the dip on Deshaun Watson or buy the dip on Lamar Jackson. You don't have access to that if all you're sitting on is the 109. So think about that. Think about how impactful that is. Know your league, know where it'll work, know your rosters where this will be the most beneficial to do, and let me know if you make any of these deals. So hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Um, I'll post the warp charts uh, in the links to the show. I'll post those on Twitter as well uh, when I retweet the show. So if you didn't catch them in your pod feed, I will definitely attach those and tweet those out so everybody can have those. Check them out. Let me know if you have any questions. Again, check out the tools. Uh, Koopa Troopa, SouthHarmonFF.com. Check out the warp tool that he created. A really, really cool tool. Again, SouthHarmonFF.com. You can try it for as low as $7 a month. Give it a try. Syncs with only sleeper, but as he says, you can create a sleeper league real quickly to kind of mimic any other league format that you use. Uh, but it'll kind of give you a warp graph of how it distributes in your league. So check out that tool. Also check out Dynasty Daddy, dynasty-daddy.com. Uh, for those portfolio players, it'll be really helpful. Again, check out my content on Dynasty Trades in 5 on YouTube. Uh, we live stream every Tuesday nights at 8.30. Uh, the other show, America's Game, that I do with Eric, we're going to be talking more about Warp this upcoming Saturday when the next episode comes out. Find more specific portfolio content from me over at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. And then finally, jump into the Destination Debbie community, patreon.com slash allgas. With that, I appreciate everybody that hung in on the two weeks where I wasn't able to put out an episode or at least one week that I wasn't able to put one out. Appreciate everybody. This is going to be an awesome summer. There's so much awesome stuff coming from Destination Devi. Really proud to be a part of it. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off until next week. Be chill. Ain't like